All right, you ready? We have been talking about history makers. This is probably going to be a series we're going to be in for most of the year this year, but essentially the heart behind it is this. What I began to realize as a pastor is a lot of us may know little verses here and there about the Bible, but if, if we don't re-meet them, we can lose contact with the major people and the major figures of the Bible. And so this year, we're meeting the people who make up the biblical story so that we can find a connect into our life from their story. We started with, obviously, Adam and Eve, you know, being the first people that we see presented in the Bible. And then, uh, and then Noah, you know, Noah and the great boat and the great flood and, and Abraham and uh, the, the great father of the faith, so to speak, monotheistic faith. And, and then Jacob, you know, that, that chosen grandson of Abraham's that carried on the line. And of course, what is the, the chosen line? What's the whole point of the chosen line? It's not just that God chose a people, but what? That Jesus would come through that tribe of people and that family of people. Why is that so important? Because the Old Testament is a great big cosmic struggle between the fact that God is going to send a son and that that son is going to rise up and defeat the devil. And of course, the devil knows that. So he's attacking this family, this Israelite family, the whole Old Testament, in the hopes of trying to destroy them and wipe them out because he knows if he kills the family, there will be no son. So that's, that's the real struggle you get. And that's where we'll be going today as we talk about Gideon. But I want to open up with a story because we're also talking about not just a man named Gideon, but a topic. The topic of sometimes being disappointed in God. If I were to take a show of hands, how many of you at one point in your life, you were disappointed in God? In some way or another, you don't have to put your hand, you can put them down. Because if you didn't have your hand up, you were, you're lying. You know, <laughs> I don't want to cause anybody to lie in church. So, you know, everybody at some moment, it is, it, to be human is to be disappointed in God at some point in your life. God is a big enough God to handle that. And nothing can be a bummer in life like a disappointment. In 1972, in the middle of the Cold War, that's when the Soviet Union existed in the United States, and they were in an arms race to try to see who was going to be the prime influence in the world. The beauty was they still competed with each other in the Olympics every four years. And in 1972, the United States basketball team was taking on the basketball team from the Soviet Union. It was a close game. It went back and forth for much of the game. But with three seconds left on the clock, the American team scored a shot and they went above the Soviet team 50 to 49. Three seconds left. They were one point in the lead. They thought they had this game in the bag. And sure enough, the, they throw in the ball from three seconds. Some guy puts it up, misses, and the Americans win the game. And they start, you know, the, the team starts jumping up and down. You start hearing chants of USA, USA in the crowds. And it's just this amazing moment. Everybody's crying, everybody, until all of a sudden you hear the announcer say, excuse me, please, excuse me. A British authority on the Olympic Committee had caught something that the refs didn't catch. But the refs wouldn't be looking for it because you cannot call timeout in the final seconds of a basketball game. But that three seconds, the Soviet coach was caught calling timeout. Well, remember, this is an era of very tense political relations. 
And the last thing that the Brits or anybody else wanted was to see the Soviets offended because they thought the game was called unfairly in favor of the Americans. So they stopped the celebration and they call all the players back and they put three seconds back on the clock even though it had already expired. And they let the Soviet coach have the timeout that it was illegal for him to have according to rules of the game. Well, uh, as you can probably guess, a miracle happened in that they threw the ball across the court. Uh, some Soviet player caught it, put it up, and scored two points. And now it was the Soviets who had won 51-50 to 50 over the Americans. And now they were shouting in victory. I can imagine no worse thing in life than to get what you had fought so hard to get, only to be disappointed and have it taken away from you. And you could see that in the interviews with the American players and with the interviews of the American coach. They had got what they always had dreamed of, only to have it taken away. This is exactly parallel with the Israelites. They were enslaved in Egypt. They had gotten what they had always dreamed of, the promised land, a country of their own, an army of their own, a land of their own, crops of their own, houses of their own. Pots and pans of their own. Only to have it taken from them a few years down the road when the Midianites and the Amalekites invaded their land and stole their food. And that can happen. It can happen more often than we think. I finally get that house. And I remember once in Washington, I finally bought the house of my dreams. And I thought that this was going to be the house I died in, only to find out that I went to go put a light into the wall. I broke through the wall, and a thousand carpenter ants start falling down the wall, crawling all over the house. I can tell you right now, there was some disappointment. I'm not a man who cries often. I sat down and cried in that moment. I didn't care that all the ants were crawling over me because I realized now I'd have to take the whole wall out and get it totally treated. Or you get a job. I've heard some people this happen. You get a job, you're all excited about that job, and then a couple weeks into that job, they call you and they say, you know what? We hired too many people. And we're just going to have to let you go because we can't afford to have all of these people on the payroll and you're one of the ones we got to cut. And you're like, what? Come on, I just got this job. I went through all the interviews and now you're telling me you hired too many people? That's your fault, not mine. Well, sometimes that's the way life works. And so the Israelites, they'd finally gotten their promised land, but they kept losing it to raiders. And here's the quote that Christina mentioned. It's by a man named Philip Yancey in his book, Disappointments with God. I, might, I have that book. I may bring it and leave it at the, at the lending library there. He said in one of his quotes, we tend to think life should be fair because God is fair. But God is not life. And if I confuse God with the physical realities of living in a fallen world, the physical realities of life, by expecting constant good health, for example, then I set myself up for crashing disappointment. John says in John 16, I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you'll have trouble. So what is he doing? He's contrasting. 
In me, you will have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But my peace overcomes the world. What does he say? For, but take heart, for I have come the world. You want to overcome the troubles that we can have in life. The greatest, most powerful, most effective way is to conquer it through the peace of Jesus residing in our hearts. Amen? Amen. And then my other favorite quote from Philip Yancey is this. Faith means believing in advance what will only make sense in reverse. Faith means believing in advance what often only makes sense in reverse. That's why faith can seem crazy sometimes. But I ask you, I challenge you, dare to be different. Dare to be a man or woman of faith and go the distance with it. And I promise you, God will not disappoint you. He will be faithful. You may not see it today. You may not see it tomorrow. But one day you'll look back and you'll say, wow, I see it so clearly. Amen? So today we're talking about the story of Gideon and how he was able to deal with some of his disappointments. Turn with me to chapter Judges chapter 6, verse 3. Judges is the seventh book of the Bible, if that helps you. <laughs> Heavenly Father, as we open up the Word of God, I pray you'd open up our hearts to just receive what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. My first point is this. Completely clear out anything spiritually negative. Let me, let, me, let me read you this scripture. This is interesting. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land, and they ruined the crops all the way to Gaza. That's their southern border. And they did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. But they came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts eating, devouring, and destroying everything in their sight. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land and they ravaged it. They, got, they, made, uh, they impoverished the Israelites so much that they cried out to God for help. Here is an interesting thing. The Midianites and the Amalekites were not supposed to be there. They were not supposed to be there at all. They were supposed to be gone. God said to Joshua and the people of Israel, when you invade the land, conquer it and drive them all out. Leave no small pocket. Does that not make sense? If we were in World War II, do you think General Eisenhower would have said to his troops, I want you to conquer 98% of the Nazis, but leave two of them, we don't need to worry about that? What was, the, what was the plan? Unconditional surrender, right? Nazism is going away completely. And we will shoot and bomb and advance until it does. This is exactly what God had told the Israelites, and yet they failed to get rid of everything. They kept little pockets here and there, probably for their own reasons, maybe even for their own pleasures. Who knows? but they did not clear out everything spiritually negative. And I think sometimes we, just do, we, we can do this too as people. We can hold on to things that we know aren't good for us just, just a little bit because we think we can handle it. We think we can control it. We think we're now above it. A long time ago, about 
oh, about 25 years ago, I was a, a, I smoked, I was a chain smoker. I don't know what you call a chain smoker, but I bought cigarettes every day and smoked it. Is that a chain smoker? I don't know. Anyway, and, uh, and of course, living in a foreign country, I, you know, was, was able to buy a lot of them. And, uh, but, I, but here's the problem is I, I have very weak lungs and uh, very re- weak, you know, bad asthma, but weak lungs in general. I had pneumonia as a child, pneumonia as an adult, so it's very scarred up. I have to be very careful. So, you know, on the candidate of people who should never smoke no matter what, I would be on that list. But, you know, I'm trying to be cool, fit in. So I, you know, I, you know uh, so I, I started up this habit, but here's the thing. I, I began to realize I need to stop this. I was playing high school sports. I walked home from school, and I, I couldn't stand being out of breath, coughing, hacking. I knew that my lungs were already scarred. All that coughing and hacking was just making it worse. I knew I needed to quit. So I had a buddy of mine, and, uh, and he said, well, I'll tell you how I've seen people quit, is they throw away all their cigarettes but one. And they keep that one and tell everybody, this is my last cigarette. And they like, you know, put it in like a case, glass case or something, you know, and they kind of enshrine it like that's the cigarette that, you know, that that is my last cigarette. You know, have you ever seen that with people who do that? You know, but yeah, yeah. So I said, yeah, that's that, all right. That's a great idea. So I threw all my cigarettes away but one cigarette. And I lasted about six hours. And all of a sudden I smoked that cigarette, you know. So I said, all right, well, I, I got to get my one cigarette again. So I bought, I kept buying packs of cigarettes, throwing them all away and keeping one. I was beginning to go through a lot of money trying to quit these cigarettes, but I would always have that one. I kept it in a little metal Altoids can, you know. I just have it there because, you know, it, 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 it looked good for the parents. And so, you know, so, and I kept all over and over. I'd always keep that one. You know what happened? I could not quit. So I was telling somebody, I said, man, I'm having a really hard time because I'm trying to just keep that one cigarette. When I buy that pack, throw the pack away, but I can't keep smoking this one cigarette. The guy said, I have a very simple solution for you. I said, what is it? I'll listen to anybody. He said, why don't you just throw away that one cigarette and never pick up another one again? I know that sounds like common sense, but when you have an addiction to something, <laughs> common sense goes out the window, right? You know? <laughs> so, so I... I had, I had the Altoids thing in my pocket, and I, like, pull it out. I'm looking at him, looking at it. Oh, I think I even started petting it. Oh. <laughs> I opened it up, to, took one last look. Yep, yep, yep. It's in there. And, uh, and he's, like, trying to reach for it, you know. He could tell. I'm like, you know, I'm not that saved yet, you know. <laughs> and, and so finally he, you know, I give him the tin, and he says, wait here a minute. And he goes off, or disappears around the corner somewhere. I don't know what he did. Uh, I was half thinking, I bet you he went and smoked that cigarette, you know. He's lying to me. That was just to get my, I stood there, and he came back. And he, he came back, and he's kind of breathing heavy. And he, he goes, it's done. <laughs> like you just killed somebody, you know. It's done, <laughs> you know. Straightening himself out, you know. And, and, but I'll tell you, there was something beautiful about what happened because once that last one was gone, it was just gone, you know? Uh, it just was over. And there was something that I remembered about, you know, just keeping that last one. That's exactly what the Israelites said. They'd kept just a little bit. When we want to be free, we've got to clear it all out because sometimes it's just those little things that keep us 
connected to what we know is not good for us. Number two, feel free to complain to God. Complain to God. I love this. Listen to, this is Gideon here. Judges chapter six, verse 12 to 16. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon goes, "Uh, pardon me, God, but if the Lord is with us, why is all of this happening? How many of you have said that before? God, if you are so good, then why is all of this happening? That's what Gideon's saying. If the Lord is with us, then why is all this happening? Now, you may say, well, maybe Gideon didn't know that God could do anything for him. No, Gideon knows. Look, he says, where are all the wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? See, Gideon's not stupid. Gideon says, I know all about the plagues. I know about the Red Sea parting. I know about the food appearing miraculously on the floor. I know about water coming out of the rock. I know about all the great miracles that God did for our ancestors. We just need them to do it for us. What is Gideon doing? He says, but now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of the Midianites. I'll tell you, sometimes this is exactly what we need to do. God does not rebuke Gideon for saying this. At no point does the angel of the Lord say, now you watch your tongue, young man. Don't you speak about God in that way. Not at all. In fact, the angel's reply is very creative. That's point number three, but let's stick on point number two for a minute. Sometimes we need a little bit of holy venting. Sometimes we need to have it out with God. One time, I, I was at a, a, just a very angry part of my relationship with God, and, and I just needed a place to go and scream at him. But my wife was at home. I didn't want to scare her. You know, so I, I, I was like, I, I'm going to drive out to a secluded place and just yell. Well, the beauty of Bakersfield is you can drive 15 minutes out of town, and you're in the middle of nowhere. But in Seattle... I had to drive like two hours out of the Metroplex. So I'm committed here. You know, I'm driving, I'm looking around like, oh, there's houses here. Oh, there's houses here. Oh, there's another city here, you know. I mean, it's just going on and on and on until I finally get alone and I park and it's near like one of these hiking trails and, I, and there's no, nobody else around. I get out of my car and I'm just about ready to scream and I see two people walking on the trail. And they're like, hi, how you doing? I'm like, go. <laughs> I wanted to be where people are not. <laughs> so I walk down this trail. I get in this little valley, and all of a sudden, I am just shouting and screaming, God, ah, and I'm just letting it rip. But I finished it with the end of Psalm 73. But God, even though I'm complaining about all this, in my heart, you are the strength of my heart and my portion for life. That's what Asaph said. So I got all that venting out and then just ended it with, God, you are the strength of my heart and my portion. And I drove home and something was very therapeutic about that. I don't think you do that in somebody else's presence. I think it's something you just get alone and you just start shouting and ranting and raving. I was throwing sticks and I was having a temper tantrum in the middle of that meadow. And it felt great to be a five-year-old for a few minutes. And then you just kind of, you know, 
perk up again and move about your day. (laughs) I know it sounds kind of crazy, but believe it or not, this is exactly what Gideon needed to get off his chest because it was there. It was real. Gideon's being honest. Why do you call me a mighty warrior when we are being raided every year and they take it all? Well, point number three, consider your cop-outs because look at the answer that the angel gives to Gideon. The Lord turned to him and said, the angel of the Lord said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. He's saying, you know what? Fair enough. I hear you're complaining. I hear you're crying. Hey, Gideon, you go and fix it. And Gideon's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. (laughs) I want to see the miracle. I don't want to be the miracle, right? You know, I want to see God do great things. I don't want to be the one that God does great things through. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor I hear that. Pastor, I want you to come and do it, but I don't want God to do it through me. If Christianity is about anything, it's about that. It's about the Holy Spirit doing things through you. Honestly, this is about the extent of what the Holy Spirit does through me. My gift is teaching. I mean, there's a few other things I can do half okay. But this, this is, this is, this is, anyway. But the point is, we, a lot of us can be like Gideon. And look at Gideon's answer. Look at Gideon's answer. He says, he says in verse 15, pardon me, God, but how can I save Israel? I'm the weakest, my clan is the weakest in, in, in all the tribes of Israel, and I am the least in my family. And the Lord said, I will be with you. You will strike down the Midianites, leaving none alive. He's trying to make excuses about how small he is how little he is, how ineffective he is, how he's a nothing and a nobody. God, you don't use people like me. I'm nothing and nobody. Nobody's gonna believe me. Nobody's gonna follow me. And what does all God, what does God have to say to change all of those excuses? Every one of our excuses. Think about your top five excuses as to why you don't do things, do more things for the Lord. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. That's just not me. That's not my personality. I'm supposed to be, you know, I don't know. We, 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 believe me, I've said them all, got them all. We have a hundred excuses. You know what the Lord says that trumps them all? I will be with you. Translation, I will do it through you. Another translation, it will not be you doing it. It will be me doing it through you. Can you lend me your body? Can you lend me your eyes, your hands? Can you obey what I'm doing here so that I can be a blessing to somebody through you? All excuses begin to fall when you begin to realize what God is up to here. And then point number four, committedly wait for God to turn disappointments into amazement. Flip the chapter now in Judges chapter seven, verses two and three, the Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. So Gideon agrees. Okay, I will be the one to go up against the Midianites. That's fine, all right? If you're gonna be with me and you're gonna use me, I'll take you at your word. But he raises a huge army, over 20,000 men. And he still doesn't have enough to take on Midian, but he has more than himself. And so the Lord says, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast by my own strength are we are saved. Ooh, you know where God's getting here. How many times do we say, man, I did it. And God's saying, yeah, sometimes you do it, 
Sometimes I want to do it. And God said to Gideon, I don't, I don't want you to do this. I want to do this through you. So he says, you got to get rid of the men. And Gideon's probably going, what? Get rid of the men? So he said, announce to the army, anybody who's afraid, you can leave. Well, how many were afraid? 22,000 men leave that day because they were afraid. He had 10,000 left. And further on, the Lord said to Gideon again, there's still too many men. So he said, go down by the river and the people who use uh, uh, their hands, you're gonna send them home. But the people who shove their face down there and lick it like a dog, I want you to keep them. Well, most people cup water right in their hands and drink it like that. You know, I do that, you know, at three in the morning in my bathroom. I don't have a cup. I just, you know. 300 of them shove their face down the river and start drinking it like an animal, you know? And, and God says to Gideon, that's your army. I want you to take 300 men against probably upwards of 40,000 enemy. And God did it. Those 300 men chased 40,000 terrified warriors 34 miles to the northeast border and cut down nearly half of them. Why? Because it was what the Lord was doing through them, not what they were doing through themselves. God will turn our disappointments into amazement. God's saying, hey, Gideon, Remember how you were talking about what God did in Egypt and the Red Sea and all this and that? You want to know something now, Gideon? They're going to be talking about what God did through Gideon and his river-lapping band of 300 men chasing 40,000 armed professional soldiers across the border. God will turn our disappointments into amazements. There's a lot... I, I could probably spend next three hours giving you stories. I, I get them. I get to be a part of them, but I also hear them. Of how there was massive disappointment and God did something, and now the people are utterly amazed. But the one I'll share with you is one that happened in the, in the recent distant past. I was meeting with a couple for marriage counseling. And they both wanted to save the marriage, but they both fought with each other so much. They, I mean, I just, and it was just years of this fighting. And I remember thinking, I don't know how this marriage is going to survive. I really don't. I, I, I just, even as a pastor, I was, my prayers were getting f- less and less filled with faith and more and more like, okay, just get on with it. Just leave each, you know, just get on with your lives. You know, you're, you're tearing each other apart, but and, 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 and one time at that point of discouragement, I was really disappointed because I felt like, you know, I'm not being very helpful here. This isn't what I've given my life for. And, and I'd really love to see these guys come together. And so I, I said, you know what, you guys? Let's quit talking and let's just get on our knees and pray. And so, you know, we, we prayed and I prayed with zeal. And I remember after they left, I remember still thinking, you know, I don't, I don't know, we'll see. Well, I said, check back in with me three weeks, three weeks later. And when they came in, there was an obvious difference in their demeanor and, 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 and countenance. And I'll tell you, with marriages, it's hard. I've never seen this happen. Usually, if, when it takes you years to get that bad, it takes you at least months to get out. 
This was a matter of weeks. And they came in and they shared. And I, I had this one question. How did all this change come about? What, what happened? You know, what great thing happened that now you're in a place where you're happier than ever in your marriage where three weeks ago you're about to divorce? And they just said a short three-word sentence. It was God. I didn't have to ask a question after that. It was God. There's the answer. Before we close today, I want to ask how many of you got disappointments? You'd like to see turned into amazements. I think before we get to that point, we have to remember our fundamental amazement in Christ is a relationship with him. Really accepting Christ, becoming one of his followers, and receiving the Holy Spirit. Opening ourselves to a life of faith where those disappointments can turn into amazements. So before we sing our final song this morning, I'd like to make a very brief, a very honest invitation. If you've known a lot about Jesus, but have never had a relationship with him, never had the Holy Spirit come deep into your heart, this morning I'd like to give you an opportunity to respond to that. If you would like to cross over from confusion into a relationship with God, from death to life, from trouble to peace, and begin your walk with God here today, or maybe rededicate your walk with God. You had that in the past, but disappointments built up, and now you're distant from God. But you want to see God amaze you again, over and over and over. Please bow your heads, close your eyes. Don't look around. If you'd like to have that happen, just go ahead and look up at me right now. Amen. 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 Many of you, let's, let's pray this together. Say, Lord Jesus, I surrender my heart to you. Please forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and turn my disappointments into amazements. In Jesus' name, amen.